0: Welcome to the Progressive Teen Radio, the newest multimedia project by the High School Democrats of America. We'll be featuring activists and leaders from around the nation with co-host and executive producer Ritwick Tati, alongside co-hosts Emily Yee and Grace Furia.
1: Hello and welcome to the Progressive Teen Podcast. We are a group of politically passionate young teens exploring the issues of today through the lens of the American youth. This episode is focused on Amy Coney Barrett, a figure who got a lot of scrutiny when she was nominated to the Supreme Court by former President Trump to replace the late iconic Supreme Court member, Ruth Bader Ginsburg.
2: So yeah, Barrett um, has stirred up a lot of controversy um, during that nomination and in the months since, um, because of her legal history, uh, the speed of her nomination and um, some of her legal decisions. Um, so we're going to talk a bit about her legal and personal history, and um, a bit about uh, what's happened in the months since her uh, her nomination got so much national attention. Um, so just to recap on on her past a little bit, she's since 2017 uh, she served on the U.S. Court of Appeals uh, for the Seventh Circuit um, after after being confirmed three years ago. Um, and during that time and before then, she has also served as a professor of law at her alma mater uh, Notre Dame law school um, and she's also gotten a lot of attention for her constitutional framework and the way she approaches decisions. Um, she does describe herself as a strict constructionalist or uh, originalist, uh, much like the former justice antonin scalia who uh, for whom she clerked and who I believe died. Back in in 2016, um, Mm -hmm. and she she on on the U.S. Court of Appeals, um, uh, the uh, two University of Virginia Law professors, professors, excuse me, uh, Joshua Fishman and Kevin Cope. Um, conducted a study in which they found that she had voted conservatively over 80% of the time, um, compared to the other judges on the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, um, and the specific breakdown here I think is kind of interesting. Um, she voted conservatively 83.8% of the time um, in discrimination and labor cases uh 87.9% conservative in criminal uh and habeas corpus cases and 83.2% conservative in civil rights cases so those are some of the categories um in which she de- does tend to veer even further um into that kind of conservative um, ideology and way of making decisions um, but I also think it's interesting to note that those figures aren't necessarily like overwhelmingly radical mm-hmm. um, 80% for, for a conservative justice she's clearly not you know uh, moderate by any means um, but they aren't you know overwhelmingly overwhelmingly conservative um, exactly exactly.
0: I also think it's important to talk about you talked a little bit about her approach to law and um, And she describes her judicial philosophy as an originalist. Again, like Antonin Scalia. Um, She interprets the Constitution according to what the words meant to the individuals who wrote it. Um, So obviously, um, people who wrote the Constitution, she's kind of trying to get in their mindset about each different um, debate, dispute over that specific portion of the Constitution. She's also a textualist which means she interprets a law based on the words on the page, not according to anyone's agenda. Um, Noting here, especially Congress's agenda, she tries to stay incredibly non-biased. Also, a thing of note to talk about is her religious background. Um, She's obviously Catholic. um, And some controversial um, things that have stirred up in the past, that she was associated with a Christian religious group, called the people of praise it has about two thousand members um all over the country in canada and um the people of praise um if any of you know the um dystopian book handman's tale um which is a great read i recommend it um which is a just dy- um dystopian future um it's very brutal and you have to read the book to kind of understand but It was based off this religious group. Margaret Atrib wrote her book based off this religious group. um, And the group has drawn scrutiny for using titles like handmaiden to describe female leaders. In fact, Mm -hmm. Margaret served as a handmaid. What do you guys think about that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think
2: just take a minute for that to sink in. I definitely think, um, you know, on one hand, her personal beliefs and her personal religion, she has said that that, that won't influence her decisions. Mm-hmm. And I admire that. And I, you know, I think that that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. That hopefully, um, hopefully, her religious beliefs, her personal beliefs, her personal affiliations won't impact her her decisions. Um, but I think it is important to kind of look at those organizations look at, I also know um, it was controversial that she had signed, um, I believe it was an advertisement um, with a Uh a pro-life group, an advertisement by a pro-life group. Um, So I think looking at like that organization, the people of praise, looking at, you know, instances such as that advertisement, um, it is kind of important to, to look at those things to kind of get the bigger picture and the bigger context for who she is. Agreed, agreed.
1: Yeah, especially, I think, looking at her affiliation with this religious group, it's sort of a judge of her moral character as well, which does, at least in some part, play a little bit into Supreme Court decisions, however non-biased yeah. um, the judges think yeah. they might be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because so think- yeah.
2: no one, right, no one is completely unbiased, no one's so we've got ideal, why that's why, you know, decisions are split yeah. along ideological lines. Everyone's so. got an agenda. Well, hopefully not. But um, <laughs> even if it is, you know, just her her background beliefs, I think are are still important for for those reasons. Yeah, and I also think um, I think we can go back to that originalism thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's something really interesting to talk about. Is do you guys think it's re- and I'm on I'm not like a a legal scholar, uh, but <laughs> just kind of approaching it from a layman's perspective. Um, how do you guys feel about that kind of originalist way of thinking? Like, do you think it's reasonable to take this document written um, like 200, what, 250, 244 yeah. years ago? No. Cause the constitution was written like 10 years after we declared independence, but <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and do that math right now. Um, but, you know, written over two centuries ago mm-hmm. and try to take those exact words and the exact words of the amendments and try and apply it to the decisions that, that we're making now that the founders couldn't even have yeah. possibly imagined you know issues like a- abortion mm-hmm. or the Affordable Care Act um like I and I, I, I the way I phrased that question I think kind of reveals what I think on the subject but I think that's worth talking about for a minute as well
0: yeah I think it is interesting um the way people interpret the constitution because obviously that's the main job of the supreme court to this when there's a dispute about Something in the Constitution or something in the law, they have to use the Constitution to justify their position, their point. And some people use the Constitution as a living document and adapt it to modern society, while other people prefer to look exactly at the way the founders looked at it. And, I, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about, like, the founders weren't perfect people just because they created a democracy. They obviously, I mean several I mean a deeply flawed democracy yeah deeply oh, yeah. flawed democracy and I mean they're they they were not perfect and most of their beliefs of what America should be is not the America that we live in today in any sense of the word so I, I think it is interesting to think about um like why people would want to like put their focus and their vision on what the founders want, uh, rather than like what the American people want.
1: Yeah, frankly, I think like this, um, originalist perspective is honestly like outdated just because, I mean, if you look at the judicial system as a whole, um, even outside of like the constitution, um, for example, like when FDR expanded the court, that Mm -hmm. was, largely just because of like how diverse the American identity and opinion had become. Um, Much more expanded than when the founding fathers um, consolidated 13 colonies into um, what America was at that time. You know, we expanded over to the West Coast. Um, We went through a whole like industrial revolution. Mm -hmm. There was a lot that just happened. That shaped the American identity. And in, in turn, um, there needed to be changes made to the justice system. So I think what is best for the American people is to interpret the document in a way that is more contemporary and modern. Um, I guess, like, uh, trying to enter the minds of the founding fathers is not going to work. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, things like cybersecurity or terrorism weren't huge. Um, well, we're literally non-existent. not, not, um, yeah. <laughs> not existent <laughs> Who knows? Someone could have had a phone in
2: 1776. But. Time travel. <laughs> time, yeah, time travel. It's like that that one picture of the dude uh-huh. the, the back of the um, <laughs> the back of the Kennedy assassination, yep. where people are trying to find like a, a digital camera or something. Anyway, sorry, that's <laughs> completely <laughs> I got, I got
0: conspiracy <laughs>
1: theories.
2: <laughs> this is not a conspiracy theory podcast. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but just, like, overall, like, summing that up, there are issues that affect us today that weren't addressed or weren't thought about being addressed when the Constitution was made, and therefore being like strict with the interpretation isn't really the way to go
2: yeah and i also think it's interesting or really important to note that the founders themselves knew that the constitution and the interpretation of the constitution would have to change (laughs) like even you know jefferson who was known for being a bit stricter in his interpretation of what powers the constitution gave to the federal government acknowledged near the end of his life that you know the way that we interpret the Constitution and the powers given to the government under the Constitution um, would necessarily have to change as you know as as the nation changed yeah and so so you know they themselves e- even though they clearly weren't perfect mm-hmm. were prescient enough to know that the words they put on a page um back in seventeen eighty whatever um, yeah would not be relevant in this long-lasting democracy that they hope to create yeah it is interesting to think about or jefferson. relevant but not 100 percent, you know word for word relevant. Yeah.
0: it is interesting to think about jefferson because he was a very strict constitutional interpreter until the louisiana purchase where he fully went off the rail and uh, before becoming president he was very strict to the constitution but then as a president i mean jefferson wasn't a very jeffersonian president so i mean when you think about like putting your mind into what the founders are thinking like even jefferson who like is considered one of like the greatest founding fathers in history like he didn't fully <clears throat> follow the Constitution during his presidency, so I mean we got to think about it. The Constitution is a living document, and I mean, obviously, Louisiana Purchase. Um, that was obviously a big land gain for the United States. So the ends justified the means in that situation, right?
1: Um, I guess like moving on towards. Um, October when obviously like her name and her figure started gaining a lot more attention, not only just because she was nominated, but um, she was undergoing a scrutiny by Congress. So very quick recap of um, her controversial confirmation. Um, so very last minute, right before um, obviously the presidential election at the beginning of November, um, we had a Republican Senate and Uh, It was the agenda of the Trump administration to uh, make their top priority to make sure that she was nominated by the Senate. Um, And that definitely broke precedent, although people tried to show that it was borderline unconstitutional um, or just like almost disrespectful or immoral. Um, And then the final vote for the Senate was Extremely close. Um, I believe one of the closest, if not the closest uh, vote for a SCOTUS nominee Mm -hmm. ever, um, 52 to 48. And from there, she was nominated to the court, um, I believe, just before the November election. So I guess like this close Senate vote that we have breaking precedent, um, I guess like the upheaval of what happened in politically aware Mm -hmm. America. What, What do you guys all think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think definitely it was kind of a continuity of the many breaks in precedent and the many yes. breaks in these kind of unspoken rules. Because again, I'm not like a, <laughs> a legal scholar or anything, but I think the the rule that you know, um, Supreme Court nominees should not be pushed pushed through in the last minute. I don't think that's a written rule. I think it's more of like an unspoken moral um, guideline guideline that the, that Congress has. Um, that our government has ad- adhered to um, for the last 244 years. And um, and so I, I think it was interesting to see kind of that be one of the many unspoken rules that that administration um, and that this Republican Party kind of pushed over in favor of getting to their means or getting to their ends. Yeah,
0: I also think, I mean, I remember when I heard that RBG died and it was obviously a very, very somber, like horrible night. Um, But it felt like they were like dishonoring her memory by pushing this so fast. Like, yes, she was a Democrat and yes, but she also was an incredible like person who made like, Improved so many people's lives and created that kind of precedent for women and politicians everywhere. Like, yeah, I did it. You can do it too. And I mean, she was obviously an extremely influential person in many of our lives. She specifically influenced me to um, start participating in politics. But um, it kind of felt like they were rushing through it, obviously, because of their political agenda. And I get it, everyone has a political agenda. But it felt like it was kind of like tarnishing her memory and what she wanted for the Supreme Court and what she wanted for our nation.
2: Yeah, and I just to interject one one other small thing here um, because you mentioned um, you know RBG's legacy as a crusader um, for gender equality for for women's rights. I also think it was interesting um, that. That Trump chose to to nominate a woman almost as this kind of like it 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 felt nominate a woman who would not um, fight for, fight for women. women's rights in the same way who would actually undermine uh, who could potentially undermine um, you know the advances that RBG and the advances that people who worked with her and who believed in her and who fought for the same issues that she did um, who could undermine those issues kind of in like a <laughs> I think that. Yeah. I'm I, sorry I know that it wasn't extremely coherent but I think that kind of almost added insult to injury that it yeah. was he was it was almost this like kind of throwing a bone moment that really um, really revealed even further the hypocrisy of what happened um, in this kind of like trying to I don't think he was trying to, like, compromise in any way. I think he was way (laughs) past that point. Um, But I I think it was more of this, like, trying to disguise um, the... I don't know if, um, like, dishonesty is the right word. But the hypocrisy, yeah, Mm -hmm. to use that word again. um, To kind of disguise that in the form of nominating a woman who would actually work to undermine the advances um, that we've made for gender equality in our judicial system.
1: Yeah. Her appointment to the court um, further tilts the conservative majority that was already on um, the Supreme Court uh, down to six to three, um, with many of those six being very, uh, far right leaning. Um, and that forebodes lots of potential decisions on issues like abortion, um, same-sex marriage, um, lots of other very contentious issues, um, that the five to four majority, um, was very close to deciding Mm -hmm. on. So obviously her appointment and just like the fact that the Trump in the Trump administration in his one term that he appointed three um, Supreme Court justices, all of them being far mm-hmm. right-leaning and single-handedly tilting the court into his favor. Um, it's very, very scary. Um, this is like the one um, aspect of our government right now that is that forebodes a lot of future scary decisions. Um, Obviously, like with Congress and the executive branch, um, we're pretty solid there. But judicially, um, (coughs) where things are definitely stirring up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Like, we have to, like, keep in mind as well that we have a balanced power of government our system is balanced. And although we have a kind of severe um, conservative majority in our Supreme Court, um, that just means we have to push our representatives in Congress harder um, in order to fight for um, the issues and policies that we believe in. And if they make a decision that goes against our values or or we believe is infringing on other people's human rights, we need to make sure that Congress takes action.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I guess we can just go in and and talk about some of these issues. I know that um, Roe v. Wade is is a case and is a precedent that um, a lot of people have been looking at as, you know, another abortion case potentially um, making it to SCOTUS. And, you know, people have been scared that that precedent will be overturned. Um, So, you know, with kind of in mind, uh, the fact that there's not too much we can do to lobby the Supreme Court, and not too much we can do to change that six-three mm-hmm. tilt. Um, you know, it's important to look at what's happening because abortion laws happen on the state level um, most of the time. It's important to look at what's happening um, in our state legislatures. Um, you know, try and get Roe acts passed on the state level in order um, to to encode those protections on a state level, so that even if an unfavorable decision happens um, in, in the Supreme Court that could potentially infringe on the reproductive rights of, um, uh, you know, <laughs> of people with uteruses, <laughs> um, that we have those protections in place. And also it's important, I believe there's uh, nine states, potentially, that might not be a correct figure, but somewhere around there um, that have trigger laws in yep. place where basically as soon as Roe v. Wade if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, um, abortion will immediately become illegal in those states. So it's important also um, to dismantle those existing structures and make sure that um, we're ex- we're securing our reproductive freedoms as best we can yes. on the state level so that no matter what happens with the Supreme Court, um, that's, that's something that we can work on. So, um, you know, if reproductive freedom is something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm and you're listening you know try and find out what's happening in your state whether there's a roe act um under consideration you know whether there's a trigger law already in place and see what you can do to um
0: to, to work on policy on the yeah table. totally and i think it's also interesting because if we're talking about amy amy coney barrett's um like opinion on roe v wade i mean she tries to stay very like in the middle of things very neutral she Very infrequently gives her opinions outright, um, which I think is actually a smart, I mean, a smart move for her. And especially as a Supreme Court justice, you definitely want that in a Supreme Court justice, especially a conservative one. Um, But I actually tracked down a singular time. (laughs) There might be other times, but I couldn't. This is the one time where she talked about it. Um, It was during an appearance in Jacksonville University in Florida before the 2016 election. Um, while she was still a law professor at the University of Notre Dame. And she was asked about ways a hypothetical future Supreme Court might allow states to pass more restrictions on abortion. And she basically said that she doesn't think the core of Roe v. Wade, like women's right or um, people with uteruses um, right to have an abortion. She said that she doesn't think that would change or she doesn't think she would change that at all um def- but she specifically said that um late-term abortions would be something that she would that would change um but i think that's kind of a cop-out in my opinion like i feel like that's kind of what a lot of republicans or conservatives in general say about um reproductive rights of that like that idea of like late term abortion but then not classifying what that late term abortion definition means and um like it's kind of vague and not very descriptive so um i, th- I think it's interesting yeah. what do you guys think about that
2: yeah i think it is important to note. um real quick this is a bit of an offside um but i i think it is important to note that um when comparing kind of what might happen with Roe v. Wade to other legislative action on abortion? Um, I think it is important to note that the the thing under question when the court decides this will be whether or not um, the precedent of Roe v. Wade, um, you know, is up to yeah. snuff, and whether or not. Um, so so it so that decision will be more about like it'll be less about policy and and less about um, the pers- her personal opinion. Yes. Hopefully, fingers yes. crossed. Yes.
1: Yeah, on the back end of what Grace was saying, I think just the presence of um, Barrett on the Supreme Court, like obviously um, abortion has been a very hot topic issue the past few years, but I think her presence on the Supreme Court has Mm -hmm. really intensified um, a lot of what we're seeing in states, like even today with the um abortion ban yeah. happening in South yeah. Carolina Which, um, actually
0: update on
2: that um uh since I'm from South Carolina and I'm so 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 <laughs> happy about this um that was just uh it was ruled illegal and so there that's uh not going to go oh, into effect awesome. um for now so that so abortion is still legal in South Carolina um it that what happens with that that may get overturned it may come back into effect but um for now that has been ruled illegal and I'm, I'm elated that's about awesome. it but sorry continue <laughs>
1: Yeah, that is so awesome. Um, But yeah, like even just the fact that abortion bans or like reproductive restriction bills are being introduced into state legislatures is a Mm -hmm. very big problem, Um, especially because the last election we saw a lot of um, intensifying Republican dominance in state legislatures in the South, um, Mm -hmm. which is like the more um, targeted area for uh over like Mm -hmm. beliefs on overturning Roe v Wade and banning abortion so yeah like regardless of what Barrett's beliefs are which are obviously like super muddled um there's not really much to go off of I think her presence just as a conservative justice is really intensifying these conversations that people are having
0: yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's also important to talk about um, LGBTQ plus freedoms as well. I know a lot of people at the beginning, um, we haven't really been talking about Barrett's confirmation recently, but confirm <laughs> yeah um, recently. <laughs> but um, in the past, I think a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community were nervous that the Supreme Court would overturn um, gay marriage rights. Um, which doesn't seem to be much of a concern anymore because of um, Congress. And that definitely would not be able to happen. But um, what do you guys think about that and the whole concern over that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's extremely serious. Um, It's an extremely serious issue. Um, You know, even if it doesn't appear that something as drastic as overturning same sex marriage is going to happen, we still need to look at, um, you know, other decisions on LGBTQ yes. rights that um, have come under the have come under consideration in the Supreme Court and will come under consideration in the Supreme Court. Like I know, one question that they've um, they've talked about in multiple cases, uh, I believe last summer and last fall, um, is like I what was it the right of employers to discriminate, uh, workplace mm-hmm. discrimination. Um, so that's something that has come under scrutiny. And um, that that case that was decided, oh, I don't I don't remember. I believe in July or August. Yeah, I think so. Um, that was that was a six three majority um, that actually reaffirmed um, workplace non discrimination. Um, and so you know cases like that that may come back to the Supreme Court um, and other issues of LGBTQ rights. Um, I I do think it's important to to keep an eye on what happens there. And again past state laws, past national laws, um, codifying LGBTQ rights into law. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think what's very clear is that um, even like like mentioned earlier, her beliefs are very muddled and all over the place, uh, depending on what position she was in as like a nominee, as a law professor. Um, But what we've seen uh, about her presence around LGBT rights is that a lot of LGBT hate groups um, really did support and vet her nomination, yeah. so um, we need to keep that in mind and uh, understand that the people that are behind her are um, proponents of homophobia and transphobia, mm-hmm. um, and also she is not a she will not protect the rights of transgender individuals. no, um,
2: no definitely not, definitely
1: especially. No. Yeah, especially because of um, like not only her beliefs on like workplace discrimination, but also um, other factors related to Title IX and mm. transgender students. Um, and also, I think there was like a situation where she misgendered someone purposefully. Um, so there's just a lot going on there. Um, and this is definitely one of the more contentious issues, even if it has. Um, somewhat died down within the communities.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and it it is important, I think, to still um, be actively aware of that threat and be working towards, um, again, towards codifying those uh, those rights into law on the state and federal level.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I guess moving on to uh, DACA and and immigration, Obviously, the Trump administration, very against um, illegal immigration and DACA and very restrictive of immigrant rights overall, um, as we've seen with not only the presence of ICE over the past four years, um, but also multiple travel bans um, and various things like that. And uh, with um, Amy Coney it's less of a concern with the current administration obviously because Biden is much more supportive of certain immigration policies um, and isn't actively pursuing dismantling DACA at the moment. Um, but like a few days ago, we uh, had data revealed about the number of uh, immigrants that are being deported by the uh, Biden administration. And it's in the 10, like, I think it's around like 26,000. There's definitely a lot, uh, a lot of people and Biden administration is not immune to that. Um, and it's something that we need to keep an eye on and hold accountable. Uh, Amy Klobuchar does not have a lot of, uh, there's not like a lot of discourse around what her beliefs are on yeah. immigration specifically, but assuming that she was a Trump pick, um, she had to have aligned somewhat with what Trump was looking for in a uh, potential Supreme Court justice who would support his platform, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I am glad that those cases um, towards dismantling um, uh, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals DACA program Um, I'm, you know, now that Trump is out of office, I don't think those are being actively pursued. So that's definitely good. Um, so, you know, the work that is definitely left to be done in terms of immigration, um, is kind of outside of the judiciary. As far as I know, I'm not sure if there are any cases, um, that will be under consideration by them that might put those, um, those programs and those rights under attack, but definitely still
0: an issue overall to be aware of. Agreed. Um, I think it's also important to bring up healthcare here because that was definitely one of the main issues, along with reproductive freedoms, that people were probably the most concerned about um, during her confirmation. Um, I remember when Chuck Schumer said um, that um, that um, a, a vote by any senator for um, Judge confirming Judge Amy Coney Barrett is a vote to strike down the Affordable Care Act and to eliminate protections for millions of Americans with pre-existing conditions. Um, and that was definitely the time where um, Americans came together and said, well, Biden is going to protect um, pre-existing conditions, which is good that Biden won the election. But it's also important to keep in mind, especially um, during this time of I mean, uncertainty and craziness, we have to think about health care and people who, um, don't have the luxury of having insurance and, um, the affordable care act is especially extremely important for, um, those people. Um, do you guys have any opinions on her healthcare stances?
1: Well, as we mentioned earlier with her opinions on transgender rights, um, she is not a a proponent of trans healthcare and like gender reassignment, uh, as being like covered under ACA and uh, the like a public option or whatever healthcare would be in place. Um, so I think that's clear. Yeah,
2: and I also think um, it's important to note that I, I think it is probably again, not, not a judicial expert, but I think it is probably inevitable that the ACA will make it back to the Supreme Court at some time in the near future. Yeah. Um, and I think it is interesting that it was suggested in her confirmation hearing, or she suggested um, that the ACA, uh, the, the individual mandate part of the ACA could be severed off of the main bill and the main bill could survive, um, which is uh, definitely a plus. It's not like 100% amazing, but um, <laughs> but that's definitely a plus and uh, kind of what that is for people um, who might not be... In- really familiar with the past debates on the constitutionality of the ACA is that the individual mandate basically can penalize someone um, for not having health care, and that's one of the sections of the bill that has been under fire the most um, by by people who say it's not constitutional. And so she's basically suggested that that one portion would not necessarily have to take down the whole bill. Um, that could be separated Uh, From the rest Mm -hmm. of the bill. And that could be if it were to be ruled unconstitutional, we could still keep the rest of the ACA. Um, So that's definitely interesting. And, uh, you know, it's not like, (laughs) clearly, it's not 100% what we want. But uh, given that she is a conservative justice, I think that's kind of the best that we could ask for is to not Mm -hmm. take down the entire bill. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully. Again, I'm not like incredibly, I don't incredibly (laughs) trust the things that she said during her
0: confirmation hearing, Mm -hmm. but but fingers crossed. Yeah, I think it's also important to think about like Trump related cases. I know he obviously is not (laughs) president anymore, but he definitely will come back into the public eye in some form in the next 12 years and it'll be interesting to see whether she will vote in his favor or not
1: yeah it's interesting to note um considering like mentioned earlier the the one term that trump served um there were three conservative justice justices appointed under his leadership and i think that has i guess like not served as like a backing for him but it definitely doesn't hurt him um, if he were to be put on trial or um, prosecuted in some way. Um, so I think what we are seeing is that the this quote unquote backing that he has is going to help him in these cases, um, and that's also pretty scary to see, considering you know such a large such a large portion of the court has had like a not like a personal relationship with him, yeah. but a working one, and one where they were the ones who benefited. So it's definitely very messy in that uh, regard. So we just have to hope that um, justices put aside, you know, um, personal beliefs and values for the sake of prosecuting crimes and um, what yeah, is and unconstitutional. I think kind of um,
2: Since you kind of touched on the fact that Trump did get to have such a disproportionate impact on the partisan lean of the court. Um, I think it's also Mm -hmm. I think this is the last thing that we wanted to talk about is um, some judicial reform measures that have been um, proposed for a while and have have really been pushed recently um, with everything that happened. Um, in order to kind of reform the court and lessen the impact that any one president can have on our Supreme Court for decades and decades to come.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting, um, the idea of court packing, which is um, basically when you describe increases in the sitting body of the Supreme Court, it's happened before, Or now, some people are arguing that it's necessary in order to represent Americans. Um, more accurately and their ideologies and you know to offset the the current conservative majority that trump appointed in his four years of presidency having such a like proponent Mm -hmm. um like stance and um like changing the force of the supreme court um lots of people have called for court packing you know progressives especially i don't specifically think that biden would necessarily do because i think it sets a precedent that um could create could make the supreme court more political and i know they definitely try to stay out of politics okay. as much as they can what do you guys think
2: yeah i mean, i think um uh did say that he wouldn't necessarily uh you know look at pecking the court but i think um so speaking about Judicial reform, another measure that has been put forth a lot um, is the idea of introducing um, Supreme Court term limits. Basically, you know, obviously, right now, uh, excuse me, um, right now, um, those uh, um, Supreme Court justices serve um, for a lifetime and um, until they they pass away or they choose to retire. And um, Mm -hmm. instituting um, those term limits. Would basically limit the amount of impact or the amount of sway um, one president can have over what our court looks like for decades. Um, which you know, and there, there is, I think, a, a bit of like, I, I, obviously, there's arguments on both sides. But I think the main argument towards doing that is it's this kind of common sense measure of like, why should a president who was not chosen by most Americans and who only served for four years get to impact um, Supreme Court decisions that will, you know, change the way our um, our judicial system and our, like, laws look for the next
0: potentially decades. Yeah. I mean, she's, Amy Coney Barrett is mm-hmm. 49. That's a long time that she could stay on the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah, and I also think it's, like, important to look at the historical precedent that we have, um, with obviously uh, FDR being the, one to expand the Supreme Court to nine justices. And if we look at his motivations behind that, it was uh, during his first term when the Supreme Court was at its smaller amount, um, a lot of his New Deal legislation got struck down. Um, uh, Looking looking, uh, back, like historians find that the New Deal um, was unconstitutional, borderline socialist, um, which obviously was like not, not a big like uh political ideology at that time um and i think we need to i think we need to uh well i'm blanking um i think we need to realize that uh court packing itself has historical precedent but it also can be unconstitutional and can be seen as um partisan pandering or making the Supreme court more political than it needs to be. And I think like for us as Democrats, um, it's like an added benefit, but in the larger picture, it's just to represent more of the American people because of how, how far we've come and how, like, how much we've expanded, um, not only, not only in diversity, but also in like in education, um, in like various regions in the issues that we need to debate on um, in the different cases that we need to prosecute. There's various factors into why the court mm-hmm. should be expanded. Um, but I think what a common counter argument will become is that um, when the historical precedent occurred when Supreme Court the Supreme Court was mm-hmm. expanded to nine justices, it was mainly for FDR's yeah. personal motivations um, obviously he was doing it for the country. He wanted the New Deal to be passed so that people would be supported financially. Um, but overall, it was a very personal, uh, borderline political motivation. And that's definitely going to be a very major counter-argument from uh, opposers yeah. of that policy.
2: Okay, so I think that kind of wraps up our conversation on Amy Coney Barrett. I definitely think a lot of these issues that we've talked about, um, you know, her personal... Uh, her 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 approach to decisions, um, and the uh, the changes that we will see happen um, on these contentious issues, you know, things like abortion, LGBTQ plus rights, the ACA, um, and you know, attempts at judicial reform will definitely be things to look at um, going into this next year and going to the, into the next four years of the Biden administration, um, and you know, however long, uh, Amy Coney Barrett sits on the Supreme Court, um, so. All of these things will definitely um, be things to continue to look at. And so, yeah, we hope that you've um, learned something new in, um, in in this episode.
1: Thank you guys for listening. Um, yeah, like Emily said, we really provided as much information as possible on Amy Cooney Barrett. There's not a lot out there um, because she hasn't had a lot of activity on the Supreme Court. Um, but we provide what we can and our team has worked extremely hard so I want to thank not only you, the listener, but also our amazing team, um, uh, our amazing co-hosts, uh, Emily Yi and Grace Furia, as well as our outreach director, Suha Chowdhury, and our amazing executive, dire- executive editor behind the scenes, uh, Meher Sharma.
0: So we had a lot of um, interesting sources that we used for our episode today. Um, we used an article from the National Law Review um, titled Justice Amy Coney Barrett's Potential Impact on the Supreme Court, President Biden's Reaction. Um, we used a New York Times article called Barrett's Record, a Conservative Who Would Push the Supreme Court to the Right. And we used an NPR article um, called Biden's Response to Trump Court Pick
2: Healthcare is on the Ballot.